So I'm not an extroverted person at all. And I don't really like uh, a lot of attention, especially when I'm alone. So for me, it was just really overwhelming. And I, I actually got to the point where I didn't really feel safe because people were coming up to me and I didn't know what their intentions were. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Hi, I'm Vivian Smith. I am originally from Mississippi, but I currently live in Hanoi, Vietnam. And uh, my business is my uh, Instagram page, and it is at Viv Wonders. V-I-V-W-A-N-D-E-R-S. So tell us your story. Like, how did you get, how you get from Mississippi to Hanoi? <laughs> like, how, how <laughs> did jump, right? Yeah. How did travel become a part of your life? So um, I actually started really early with just doing a lot of traveling with my family because of my dad's career. And um, I left undergrad uh, college and moved to DC. And DC just opened up a whole new world to me. I started meeting a lot of different international people. And uh, I thought, wow, like the world is so much bigger than what I uh, am currently envisioning. So then I started actually looking at uh, international positions that I could apply for with the work that I was currently doing. And um, I didn't go right away. I had the opportunity to move to the country of Georgia, but I decided not to go right away. And uh, I went on to uh, get my master's degree. And then after that, I moved to Kazakhstan. So my first international assignment was in Kazakhstan. That is really, really dope. I love that you took such a leap because a lot of people, Kazakhstan is like not on the wish list. <laughs> like, no. like, I don't hear anybody being like, oh man, you got to get to Kazakhstan. Like it's the dopest. 
<laughs> no, you don't hear that. And it's not a place that you would see a lot of uh, Black women, for sure. So when I got there, they were very interested in me. I was very um, different for them. So it was a lot to take in, um, not being able to just like freely walk in the grocery store without being harassed for a picture or just being harassed, period. But I had to understand that I am quite different for them, from them. And as long as I wasn't being touched or uh, physically assaulted in any way, I just sort of like let it roll off my back. Like, okay, they're interested in me. They're not harming me in any way. Don't get upset. <laughs> but it was like a conversation you had to have with yourself. For sure, because it was just so overwhelming. It was just so much attention at one time. And I know a lot of people uh, that don't live abroad, they'll say, well, you know, they're just interested in you or they find you to be beautiful. And until you actually live in that situation, you don't understand like how much it really does affect you. And not everyone is someone that uh, likes attention. Like I just started my Instagram account maybe maybe a month ago I because was, I'm yes, not an extroverted. Yeah, so I'm not an extroverted person at all. And I don't really like uh, a lot of attention, especially when I'm alone. So for me, it was just really overwhelming. And I, I actually got to the point where I didn't really feel safe because People were coming up to me and I didn't know what their intentions were. So it was definitely an internal conversation that I had to have with myself uh, to help better prepare me just to walk outside my apartment on a daily basis. So it is definitely overwhelming. You, you said that people who don't live abroad or who haven't like traveled extensively uh, don't know what it's like in the comments that they would say. Was there anyone who kind of like, uh, affirmed your feelings that helped you to develop that conversation with yourself? For sure. I actually had, uh, when I was in Tbilisi, Georgia, I had one of my coworkers, my white male coworker, actually, who said, uh, because a lot of the Georgians, you know, people in general, they feel that their country is very welcoming and they feel like, you know, no one has issues in my country. No travelers should have issues. Uh, so we were having the discussion and he said, no, she's right. I've been with her and I've seen how people react when she's walking down the streets and she's not doing anything, but just walking down the streets and people are, you know, literally like almost breaking their neck to turn around to, to watch her just walk down the street. So he said, she's not overreacting. These are very real um, reactions that she's getting. And I can see why it would be uncomfortable because I'm uncomfortable when I get those reactions and I'm a white male. And I was like, well, there you have it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, so it definitely you know, helps me to feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just you don't give white men too much. They just run with it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'm so glad, so glad you got that, like, affirmation. You got that. Because that's what, that's what gaslighting is, right? That's what happens to Black women all the time, mm -hmm. every day, about our experiences, yeah. no matter where we are, no matter how we move. It's just like, oh, it's not what you say it is. And it's just like, okay, bitch, but it is, like. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, 
talk to a lot of black women and I don't hear them talk as much about it. I guess maybe, I mean, they do talk about it, but they, they do it like, uh, like brushing it off essentially. Um, you, you said that after four years of living in central and Southeast Asia, you developed anxiety in large crowds because you had the fear of the photos and the groping and the hair touching. Um, you said that a woman took a photo of you and she showed you the caption she wrote on the photo and it said, beautiful gorilla. Yes. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't hear, I don't hear black women like really getting into it. They're just like, I travel, uh, what people have to say about these places is not going to stop me from traveling from it. Like they, it's the very kind of like a strong black woman approach to it, I think. Um, which is just like, well, I'm not going to talk about how like <laughs> it made me afraid to come out of the house. <laughs> so I, I like that you put that out there. Cause I think that that's a conversation that that we could have a little more and a little more honestly, you know, because mm-hmm. that, that's something, right? I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people, uh, a lot of women, a lot of black women, they don't want to um, put the, the country that they're visiting in a negative light. And they, they want to give the positive experiences because they want p- more people to be inspired to travel and I understand that. And one of the things that I try to do and I'm trying to do with my uh, Instagram page is to actually talk about the other sides of those um, visits that, that you will have. And sometimes if you know that you have some anxiety, I want you to know that if you go and visit the Golden Hand Bridge in Danang, Vietnam, you will be in a large crowd of people. And if you have anxiety, that's probably not the place for you. So I think people need to be more honest and more real about that because everyone travels differently and people need the, um, they need that, that realness so that they can make really informed decisions on if this is good for my mental health and if this is good for my emotional health to go to this particular place. That is so, so extremely serious. And I also don't think that is something that even like uh, other people talk about very much in the travel community in general. So, you know, how Black women are. So <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to take that conversation and push forward because like, like you said, that mental health is is super important whatever you're experiencing now wherever you are more than likely you will be in a situation where it could be amplified because you are without your comforts and sometimes comfort can make those things quieter but if you are in an uncomfortable situation it could like really take your your experience your health in a completely different direction so yes thank you very much absolutely yes um, and with that said, though, so um, being different got you an opportunity. It seemed like you were able in Hanoi uh, to be featured on the a show on Vietnam as a model. Oh, my gosh, yes. That was the most random and amazing experience that I had in Vietnam. So um, actually, the person that 
um, asked me to model for them. Her clothing line is Unorthodox Clothing. And uh, she's a British fashion designer. And she was um, requested to be featured in British Vogue. And she wanted to highlight uh, women of different sizes, different shapes, different colors. And she didn't just want to use the um, normal uh, model body type. And she asked me to model for her. And I said, well, you know, I'm not a model. Like, I got all these curls, girl, and they're not in model form. So she's like, no, Vivian, like, that's what I really want. I want someone that has, like, curves. I want to really show, like, the different patterns of my clothing. And I told her no again. And she's like, well, you know, it may possibly be featured in British Vogue and on Hanoi uh, television. I was like, well, girl, you know, I could be a model today. So <laughs> that's how I ended up <laughs> So it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And she's uh, she's Black British, so she's a Black woman. Yeah. Unorthodox. That's really dope. Because, like, I just, like, in America, you, I, like, that don't happen, right? <laughs> like, not for no. real. Um, well, one thing I can say here in, in Hanoi, uh, the Black women here, whether they're British or Black American or Black African, they really support each other. Uh, and it's always like, hey, sis, I see you and I need you to come over here so I can let these people see you. So I'm a scientist. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not anywhere in the fashion industry at all. But we met up like just on a meetup. And she's like, you're so beautiful. Can you be a part of this for me? And I just think it's so amazing how we here in Hanoi come together and really like support each other and make sure that we're we're okay and we're celebrated because we understand that we're in a space where our body types are not celebrated, our skin tone is not celebrated. So a lot of the black women here step up and celebrate you so that you can get through some of these difficult times that we have. Have you found a community like that, like wherever you go? Or do you think it's something special there in Hanoi specifically? I definitely feel like there's a, a special thing happening in Hanoi, in Southeast Asia, uh, because I definitely did not have this in Kazakhstan. I met one Black person the entire time I was in Kazakhstan. Um, and I have my obvious friend groups in D.C. who I love so much, but they've actually been with me or been in my life since college. So Hanoi was the first time I actually met people who I had not known for a long period of time who became like family members for me in a support system. And it was just amazing to me because I was like, these women don't know me. They don't know anything about me, but here they are supporting me, making sure I'm okay. We would have girls night and we would just come over and drink wine and cry about some of the stuff that we were going through that day or talk about, you know, the future. Um, so Hanoi has definitely been a very unique place for me when it comes to establishing strong female relationships. That's really, really amazing. I love to hear that. Um, I haven't seen as much togetherness. You know, there's so many Black travel groups, like for specific cities or like generalized areas, you know, Europe or Asia or whatever. Um, and people are always looking to connect, but it seems like the local people that are there are not. <laughs> um, Agreed. So I think that's really 
fabulous. I've never I've never heard that that there was such a a dope group like that in Hanoi. It makes me want to go to Hanoi. <laughs> you should. There yeah. will be people here that will welcome you. <laughs> that's really fabulous. Because that, that's important. It's just like, if I wanted to see Black people, I would stay home. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> it, it depends on but. the type of traveler you are. <laughs> like, if you are just a traveler, exactly, you don't really care, I don't think, because you're not putting down roots necessarily. If you're traveling for a while, I think it could you could wear on a person. Oh, for sure. But if like you, you are living and working somewhere, I think that support system is really necessary. So I'm so happy you found that. Me too. You're, you're actually going to South Korea um, next year. Yes. <laughs> I <cannot wait>. yes. <laughs> oh, so you are excited. Okay. I am very excited because um, my new job posting will be um, with the Department of Army and it'll be near the military bases there. So I know this is gonna sound so bad, but I'm just so <laughs> excited to be around American culture again, but not necessarily having to be in America. So, so excited. <laughs> Plus you get a lot of benefits with the military base. Can't you order stuff from like Amazon? I have so many people that will come and visit me. It's so funny. My coworkers, my, my one uh, female white co-worker, she comes over often and she brings me hair care products. And so yes. she has curly hair. So she's like, Vivian, so, you know, I started using that uh, <laughs> shea moisture that I brought for you. It does wonders for my hair. I was oh like, see? <laughs> <laughs> Do not colonize our products. You can use it. I know, right? Relax. But it's for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of living and working abroad and, like, your time in Vietnam, you are a biodefense researcher. Um, yes. So what you're doing there is you are helping the Vietnamese to bring safer scientific practices to their public health, specifically regarding crises, crises right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like you're trying to prevent bird flu that happened in Hong Kong, that kind of thing? Very, exactly. Very good example. So what we want to do here is teach them how to respond to Uh, potential outbreaks that may happen in their country, how to sequester those outbreaks so that they don't make it to other countries. So, and obviously, you know, we're the United States government. So our ultimate goal is to make sure that those um, outbreaks don't make it back to the U.S. borders. But uh, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship because we are giving something and we're getting something um, and they're, they're giving something and getting something. So we're all just helping each other. And, um, it's been quite interesting um, working uh, with the Vietnamese people because I'll be there giving them a presentation. And the next thing I know, the cameras come out and, you know, they're recording me. And I definitely had to um, say to myself, okay, Vivian, keep your professionalism. You know, don't get so upset. Again, they are uh, interested in me. I look different from any, anyone that they've ever seen before. So don't get upset. But I'm thinking to myself, we're at work. Can you just chill for a second? (laughs) There she goes. (laughs) There goes that Mississippi. We're at work. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, Calm wow. down. Have some class. <laughs> <laughs> this is not for your Snapchat. This is not for your Instagram. Right. Okay, I see. So they're not focusing and trying to remember what it is you're saying. They're <laughs> objectifying. Absolutely. I had this one guy, I had just given this beautiful presentation about uh, some uh, work that I had done with flu when I was at the NIH. And uh, afterwards, he comes up to me and he says, you know, Vivian, you should marry a Vietnamese guy so you can get Vietnamese citizenship and uh, compete in our beauty contest. I was like, what? (laughs) So you didn't hear anything I said? (laughs) (laughs) I could not believe it. I said, oh, "Oh, you got some nerves. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds about mm-hmm. right. <laughs> but I'm I'm curious about the <clears throat> the uh, practices of some Asian people. For example, I see people, quote unquote, washing their hands with water only, no soap. Uh, there's the coughing and the not covering the mouth. I don't know. Oh goodness, how that hasn't been remedied yet. I don't. I personally don't get it from children to older people, the spitting, spitting Mm -hmm. in the streets. Um, Other people have seen public urination and uh, bowel movements in public. Like somebody said, uh, somebody held their kid over a trash can. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep, Um, definitely have seen that. Yeah, so how do you shift a culture? Full oh, stop. Goodness. Like, so I, <laughs> how do you? Yeah. It's like all of this cultural, right? They give permission. Well, I mean, they don't even know another way, really. But then they wear the masks. Like, it's confusing. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> right. And they don't even wear the right types of masks. They wear the surgical masks that do not filter anything. It's mm-hmm. just there for their mental uh, protection because all it does is make them feel good. So, back to my, my nerdy science talk. Quick yeah, lesson come on, for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so there are two types of uh, air masks. There is um, an N95 uh, air mask. And N95, uh, it, it has a HEPA filter in it, and it's actually filtering um, the the air that you're breathing in. So it's stopping like large particulates and um, Depending on the types that you get, it can have a charcoal filter in it, and it will stop any types of uh, gases that may come through. And then there's what I see a lot of the Asian people wearing, which is which are just surgical masks. And you wear those if you're trying to protect people from you. So if you have the flu or something, and you want to ensure that when you cough, it doesn't like dispel out onto people, you wear that type of mask. But it's not filtering anything. So anything that you're breathing, unless it's like super large particles, is not stopping anything from coming into your uh, airway passage. So I see these masks and I'm like, you're you're not really doing anything with that, but protecting us from you. But okay, sure. So I try to educate people on that because it's just like a mass problem of people not understanding what they're they're using and they're just using it because they see other people using it so quick side note <laughs> lesson on respirators so so part of is 
is part of your job then like education so for example specifically between the different masks but is it also like hygiene like down to the to the soap and how long you should wash your hands and how to cover your mouth effectively and like stuff like that as well or is it more high level yeah it's more high level uh we, we will discuss it um you know, casually to make sure that they understand that, for instance, uh, there is an African swine fever outbreak currently going on in Hanoi. So we will discuss with them uh, the types of masks that they should wear when they're going into the field to uh, collect blood from the pigs. But we don't necessarily sit down and have uh, um, a class on the different types of masks because at this level, uh, we expect that they should already know that. So we're working with like um, veterinarians and uh, PhD research scientists. So we, we expect that they've already gotten that training and we're more focused on the high level things. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Because <laughs> yeah, it's just so interesting, like being a global scientist. So what, what kind of work were you doing in Kazakhstan then? Oh, wow. My work in Kazakhstan was actually quite interesting. And it was, um, I was like a fangirl really in Kazakhstan because <laughs> it was directly related to what I had gotten my uh, graduate degree in. So my graduate degree is actually in biodefense from Johns Hopkins University. So um, as some people may know, there, there was uh, the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union consisted of a lot of different countries under one country basically ran by Russia. So uh, once the Soviet Union broke down, uh, a lot of the researchers had no place to go. So they were being recruited back to Russia or to other countries to do what we call um, offensive uh, biological research. So they were creating like dirty bombs, as, as some people call them, or uh, finding ways of aerosolizing, say, like anthrax over a country so that they could um, they could affect that country. Yeah. And, and they were using it as a warfare agent. Yeah. So the United States started a program um, and sent a team of scientists out to these different countries to actually work with these, um, these researchers and teach them how to do what we call defensive uh, biological research. So teaching them how to create vaccines and things like that. And um, one of the countries that we had an agreement with was Kazakhstan. And one of the researchers that was in this, this biological warfare program when it was uh, the Soviet Union, he defected to the United States. And I had the opportunity to meet him while he was in the United States. And uh, then when I went to Kazakhstan, which is one of the countries that's under their agreement with the United States, I was able to actually go to the laboratory that he worked at and work with the scientists that were at some point doing um, offensive work uh, and teaching them how to do like safer science and do more like vaccination and things like that. So when I met those people, I was like, oh, my God, you were in my you know book in school and here you are in person. Oh, my God. <laughs> And has that, has um, the history of a place or maybe just even the scientific history of a place been important to you in your travels? Uh, yes, for sure. I definitely, uh, 
I have more of a connection with the country once I know uh, certain things that relate to what I do for work, because I know that what I, I just recently understood the impact that my work has on um, the country that I'm in. So uh, in Kazakhstan, I had the opportunity to work with uh, those scientists and actually help them open um, a research laboratory. So forever and ever and ever, the work that I did at that research laboratory will continue on. So it's a legacy that I left. Whether anyone knows my name or knows that I was a part of that legacy, I know wow. that I left that legacy. And same here in Hanoi. I'm working with uh, the research scientists here. And just like, like last week, we delivered a lot of equipment to their research laboratories that they were in desperate need of in order to process more samples and uh, do more confirmatory testing of African swine fever. So I know that when I leave here, I left an impact on the scientific community here, which ultimately affects the people here and the work that they're doing. So it's just, it really hit me like, wow, I'm not just here working. I'm actually leaving a legacy in these countries that I'm in. So the countries you have worked in have been Kazakhstan, Georgia, you worked in Haiti as well, and then yes. Vietnam. Yes. So you just, you know, putting your little footprint. <laughs> <laughs> Trying. <laughs> So let's talk about, you said that your parents traveled a little bit uh, in the States and then you, yes. you started to see that the world was so much bigger than even because that's hours from Mississippi to D.C. Whether even if you're on a plane, yeah. that's like a, a big distance. Um, so you started to see that the world was so much bigger. And your very first trip that you took was actually in 2016 to Israel. And it that was, was my very first solo trip. Oh, my very first yeah. trip out of the country was to Canada. Canada, okay. Yeah. Um, but that solo trip that you took was wasn't solo necessarily by choice. <laughs> you agreed. Yeah. You were trying to get some folks to come and you was like, hey, let's let's scoot on over to Israel. And they were like, No. Yes. <laughs> um and so you was like, okay, well, bump it. I'm going to go anyway. And, and you said that that was the best personal growth decision that you had made and that you were able to find strength through that trip. What, what happened? So I did, not, uh, I did not do any research at the time, being a, a novice traveler at that point. Um, so I didn't know the political environment in Israel. I didn't know about the tension between this Israeli people and the Palestinian people. So I went there uh, solely just for a spiritual uh, standpoint. And when I got there, I was seeing signs saying like Palestinians are not allowed past this border point or Israelis are not allowed past this certain point. And I was like, what, what is that about? So, um, I, the people that I was traveling with in the in the tour group, we went to the um, the Wailing Wall, as they call it, uh, and we were at the wall. And while we were within the uh, grounds, there was a shooting that occurred. So they um, completely shut down the area, and no one could come in or go out until they uh, found out like where this shooter shooter was. And everyone that was in my group 
like rallied around me because they knew that I was by myself and they wanted to make sure that I was okay, that, uh, that they had contact information for, uh, anyone that, um, that I, that they needed to call just in case something happened. And I was like, wow, these people are amazing. They don't know anything about me. All they know is that I'm this young girl by myself. But when tragedy happens, they rallied around me and made sure that I was okay and made sure that if anything were to happen to me, they had contact information to reach out to my family. So it really showed me um, a different side of the world and or a different side of people and helped me, I guess, not be so cynical about uh, people or strangers. And I, I appreciated that. Wow, that's really, really, really dope. I love that you felt protected and cared for in that way. Um, Cause it, it can be easy to feel alone. I think that that's something that we talk about a bit as travelers and solo travelers is the loneliness. Yeah. And it helped me actually to step out of my comfort zone and be a comfort for other people because um, maybe like on a normal basis, I would not put myself out there uh, or I would not say, hey, you're by yourself, come, you know, come join me. But after that experience, I realized how important it is when a person is by themselves to feel like they are connected with someone. So now, for sure, I, I put myself out there more when I know someone, is, especially if someone's coming to Hanoi or an area that I'm living in. I'll say, hey, if you're by yourself, hit me up. I can take you out or I can show you uh, the best places to go for this or that. So they definitely taught me how to be more caring and more open to people. Do you think that that comes from being a black woman? What I mean by that oh, yeah. is, yeah, okay. Yeah, you don't even have to finish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, the world has made us nurturers. The world seems to see us as uh, mother nature. So I think that they see us as like this nurturing force. And sometimes people forget that we need to be nurtured in order to continue to nurture the world. We need to be poured uh, in and we need love and we need to be cared for. So, you know, from the time, you know, we're little girls, as black little girls, we're always being told to be kind and to be caring and to, you know, be gentle, especially if you're from the South. So, you know, I think it's very much just a part of like what I what has been instilled in me for better or for worse. But there's also the part, too, where I I think that black women don't feel that back. And so if you have to do it for yourself, a lot of times it's hard for you to extend that to others. But when you receive so much, you're able to give more. Right. You fill your own cup first. But then. But then even with that, with other people helping to fill your cup, you feel more open, I think, anyway. Um, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And so with that, with the conflict that was going on in Israel, you also experienced a little bit of that in your trip to Hong Kong. Um, And you say you got to witness history there and protesters in Hong Kong, talk to you about their experience in the country. What was that like? It was amazing because I knew how much the the girl that I was talking to had to have trusted me to give me that information because it was not safe for her to talk 
to me, a foreigner, because, you know, I know her name, you know, I know her face and she didn't know who I was. She didn't know if I was really just a reporter there secretly recording her. So I was very appreciative that she felt so open to give me that, um, that information. Did it move you like seeing people in a situation where they're fighting for their, their rights and not be involved? It's different, right? (laughs) Like, yes, it's different when you have skin in the game, but you didn't necessarily have skin in the game in this situation. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like very, um, it was very interesting to see people, especially people who have historically been known as, you know, quiet people, people that just sort of go with the flow. It was very interesting to see them step outside of the background and say, no, I'm not, I'm not putting up with this and I'm not going to allow this to happen to my people. And the most amazing part of it all was that it was mostly young people that were out there, like high schoolers, college kids that were putting themselves at risk to protest and say, this, is, this isn't right. And the, the young protest, protester that I was talking to was just telling me about um, how they had people that had infiltrated their, their group. And so she thinks maybe they were police officers or something, but they would come in and cause issues and they would uh, blame it on the protesters. So they would come uh, to the protests and they would just be, you know, really ridiculous and causing issues. And then in the news, it would be that the protesters are violent and the protesters are causing all these issues. And she said they had actually questioned one protester because he was uh, inside of the gate. So they had closed the, the metro down and uh, they made all the protesters leave. So all of the protesters left out of the uh, metro. And this one protester was still inside with the key to the gate. So she said uh, they were like, um, how do you have a key to the gate? And then she said they turned on their camera and they started asking him, are you a police officer? Are you really, you know, a part of the protester group? And he was like putting his hand up saying, don't record him and trying to run away so that they didn't get his face on the camera. So I just was like taken aback by this information because I thought to myself, this is not something that, you know, lay people will know. The people that are watching the news, this is not something that we would actually know that is happening. So it was really amazing to be a part of it in the sense of actually knowing what's going on in Hong Kong with the protesters. And it's amazing like how much hasn't changed. Young people have always led the revolution. I guess older people Mm -hmm. just like are tired (laughs) or (laughs) too busy trying to, you know, keep their head above water or too comfortable, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, the news has never been for the people. Um, oh, for and, sure. And that's the, that's the really amazing thing that I love about social media is that the stories that should matter, the stories that should be, be getting more coverage that the major outlets just aren't going to cover um, are being heard. And that's, that's super important because you get to see the inside of it. You get to see the real story and not just the story that they would have us know. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I agree. A lot of people say, you know, social media is good and evil. And I, I definitely see both sides of it. Yeah. But the one thing I appreciate is that we get real stories. Even if, unfortunately, a lot of those stories come in the form of a hashtag. But <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So one of the ways that I saw that you like to explore countries is through visiting the botanical gardens or flower exhibit. So you're a flower power lady, are you? Oh, yes. <laughs> if you met any of my friends, they would tell you, I love flowers. I'm always gifting people flowers, even if it's not their thing. I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be your thing. But I think that it's very beautiful to give people a bouquet of roses or something. So I'm definitely a flower girl. That's something that I've enjoyed about Asia is like how affordable flowers are. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a part of their practices as well, a lot of the spiritual practices that they have. So you can find flowers pretty much everywhere. So Yeah, they have a flower market um, here in Hanoi, and they bring all of the fresh flowers to the market around like midnight. So it's like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. They have all of these um, flowers just lined up on the sidewalk and like everywhere. And it's just like flowers for days. And then <laughs> by maybe, maybe like 8 a.m., they're actually all gone. Like they've mm-hmm. been delivered to like different shops or delivered to conferences or something. So like, it's like you wouldn't even know that at midnight, this place was full of flowers. It's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you said. Um, I believe it was on a trip you took to Australia you said uh, talking again about solo travel you said that solo travel feeds your soul resets your energy and forces you to believe in yourself Um, you also talked about your outer form becomes just a shadow of your inner heart and Mm -hmm. it inspires you to reach for whatever brings you peace and happiness follows from that so my girl's getting real poetic out here. And you hired a photographer in Australia. So everybody go ahead, click on the link in the show notes. Go see my girl Viv <laughs> Wanders. She is in her yellow swimsuit, living her best life with her hair all the way out. What? Girl, listen, I had been called fat so many times here in Hanoi and in Asia, period, that I actually started believing it. I started being like, oh, my God, my butt is so big. And I never really, like, like to, like, show off. I always thought that my butt was big. So I was like, I don't want to show my butt off, so I'm going to wear something to cover it. But my goodness, it just started getting to me. And I, I actually was, like, unconsciously not eating. It's so sad. Like, I didn't even realize that. I was like not eating lunch, skipping lunch. Or I would say to myself, I'm going to stop eating eating at uh, six. That is so unhealthy. And I'm saying this to myself because I wanted to lose weight because I'm going into the shop and they're saying to me, oh, no, we don't have a size for you. And I'm like, but I, I wear a size six. Like, what you mean? <laughs> I wear a medium. No, 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 no size for you. No size. So I just got to the point where I was like shrinking into myself, trying not to be seen because I was feeling so fat. Of course, I'm going to be noticed because I'm black and I have curly hair. 
But then I started feeling big. And so I just, I would just like be in spaces and be like, oh God, I hope I'm not being seen or I hope nobody's looking at me or just, or if I was out eating, like feeling like people were watching me eat because they thought I was fat or something. So I really started like believing that. And I had to step outside of that uh, negative shell I had created and understand that I'm a normal healthy size. My stepmother is a nutritionist. So I know what normal is. And I'm like, I'm a healthy size. I am not overweight in any form. And I need to start embracing that. I need to stop stop shrinking away from the spotlight or away from people and actually start showing people, especially people like me who deal with anxiety, that you can put yourself out there in a way that still makes you feel comfortable. And you don't have to listen or believe what people who don't even know you say about you. So I had I had to really like encourage myself to push beyond some of that negativity I was getting. Honey, <laughs> I'm feeling <laughs> all of what you just said. Um, because looking at this picture, ma'am, I'm just like, okay, Serena Williams Jr. <laughs> you look fit, you look trim. Yeah, like Serena hit me up, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Serena, I know you're listening. Get at your girl. Um, <laughs> you do. You look healthy. You look well. Um, but and and with that said, like I know it can be humbling. I'm much larger than you, and there is nothing like an Asian person sizing you up and being like, no, mm-hmm. literally without any type of feeling whatsoever just like no cannot this won't fit you there's nothing for you in this store literally (laughs) um or the coded ways they talk about fatness like not that you are I'm talking about myself because mama has roles but um (laughs) yes and so like shopping out here is girl I tried to order something from Lazada okay I'm gonna get real with y'all I was looking for underwear, okay, as a normal human being needs. I was looking for thongs mm-hmm. because I do not like visible panty lines. And I order an extra large. When I tell you the underwear that came in the mail, baby, <laughs> Some, somebody's child somewhere. I don't know no child that young that should be wearing a thong, but it's <laughs> like, and I looked at the measurement. So it's just like, yeah, it's humbling. Uh, the way these people it is. get down and the disrespect and the anti-blackness of the sizes. Mm-hmm. Here. But I mean, you do look around and people do be tiny. I mean, but there are overweight people as well. Or like, yes, and that's what I had to explain people to people. Well. Where do they shop? That's I like, what I want to know. <laughs> thank you. Like, where do you go? That's what I need. <laughs> They're like, oh girl. Because you're the same size as me. Thank you. Oh, girl, I like your pants. Where you get them from? You got to sneak it in there, I guess. <laughs> Ooh. Um, but I love that you did that for yourself. I love that you was like, forget this. Let me just work through this and hired yourself a photographer and got your kicks on Route 66. I love it. I did. And even then, I had to, like, keep encouraging myself because he, he sent me the pictures 
And I would be like, oh my God, look at my stomach. Oh, should, I shouldn't have worn that dress. Look how loose it looks. Look how wide my butt looks. I was just like going on and on. And I was like, yo, you went to freaking Australia. You got to sit front row at the Sydney Opera House to see West Side Story. And you were critiquing yourself about your size of your butt and your stomach. Girl, stop it. Like, sometimes I, I have to, like, get real with myself. Like, all right, Vivian, you're doing too much. So, like, let's get a little more real. In what universe is having a big butt a bad thing again? Oh, listen, I grew up in Mississippi. That's what, yes. I, uh, I, but listen, okay, I grew up in Mississippi, but I played softball since I was a little girl. I, uh, I was a cheerleader for a majority of my life. So I was always around smaller white girls and so I was from the time I was like 13 or like 14 I started hearing your butt is big your butt is growing or oh girl you're getting a shape like we need to stop saying that to little girls like that that is not something like when little girls hit puberty and they start fully forming like we need to stop saying oh you're getting you a little shape because no, like let's let's let little girls be little girls. So I was hearing that so much, and I started feeling like I was getting attention that I didn't want because of it. That it developed this um this this self hate actually for my natural uh, body, my natural curves. So I didn't like it at all, and I I wanted to be as small as possible all the time. I used to always be like, I need to lose weight. I need to lose weight. And I remember I was talking to my mom. I was in D.C. at the time. And uh, I was on the phone with my mom. And I, at this point in time, I was checking my weight like every morning. So I got on the phone. like, oh, Mom, guess what? I'm 118 pounds. Finally, I'm under 120. And she was like, what? Have you lost your mind? What do you mean you're under 120? That's You don't need to be under 120. And I, I was all excited. It wasn't until I, I was talking to my mom, telling her, that my good news, I thought that I realized, like, I think I have a, uh, like, body dysmorphia. Like, I think that I see myself in a way that is not true to form, and I probably need to get some help for that. So I actually went into therapy for it because it was getting out of hand. Wow. So I have a lot of issues with that. I have to really constantly check myself. So this is news to a lot of people. It'll probably be news to my family that listens to this podcast. But um, Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. Yeah. Just her a little bit more. She just needs more love, <laughs> not more criticism. Thank you. Period. But um, I, uh, I had to like really deal with that. I had to deal with the fact that from the time I was young, my body has been sexualized and I didn't like it. And so I was trying to do everything to not look like what people thought was sexy. Uh, so I had to deal with that and I had to deal with that even with putting myself out there on social media because I was like, I don't want to be, you know, out there and coming off as like this sexualized person, you know, that's trying to show my swimsuit pictures. And then I was like, you know, what is wrong with that? Like, what is wrong with, you know, these travelers that truly are beach people? There are people that travel and they go to the beach. What they going to wear at the beach? A swimsuit. <laughs> what is wrong with that? Girl. So, you know, I have to in these they, don't like they, don't, they don't get down like that though. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. But go ahead. They don't. 
they they definitely don't I need when I tell you it it don't it don't even feel like the beach anymore it's just like I'm hot looking at y'all why are there so many clothes on But see, that's my scene. I'd be like, oh, yes, this for me. Right, right. <laughs> oh, I get to keep my, my T-shirt on in the pool. All right. <laughs> no. Uh, right. Not saying anything against Muslim people. Please practice your practices. Thank you. Um, yes, yes. That is, that is super, super, duper, super, duper, super real. And yeah, it is a constant conversation. Because essentially what you're saying is you don't, it's not that you didn't like your body for the fact that it's your body. You didn't like what your body earned and it was yes. that attention and you did not want that attention. And so then you associated it with your body when it wasn't your body, it was the attention. Mm-hmm. So like trying to rationalize that and separate that. And like, it's a constant practice, especially if you spent years thinking that it was your body. You didn't like it's people you don't like. And with good reason, because they're terrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had really good supportive friends that that were constantly pouring into me. And my group of friends that I have that live back in the DMV area, shout out to them because they are so amazing. So they were constantly pouring into me. And one of my really good friends, she is the founder of uh, Black Girl Travel Slate. Shout out to uh, Elise. Um, and she was just like, Vivian, what are you doing, girl? You out here traveling the world and you don't have an IG account. <laughs> you're not like letting people know about these cool places that you're going to. So she really was one of the biggest inspirations for me to put myself out there more, love my body more, love the changes that my body is going through and understand that my body does not represent sex. It's a separate thing. So I appreciate her for that. Aww. You do have some really dope friends. I don't know them, but I really do. Highly of them, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is not. Uh, well, I won't say the norm because I don't have like an official data set set of data to work with. But um, sometimes, like friends get jealous, or if you're away for too long, the friendship withers on the vine, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it's really powerful that you've been able to nourish those relationships and continue them. I have one more story about that because I I think this is so dope, but I won this really amazing award uh, of all of the young nuclear biological chemical scientists in the world. Yes. I was chosen as the top one. (laughs) So this is the 2019 Dr. Billy Richardson Young NBC Researcher Award. Yes, yes. Talk about it. Shout out, shout out. (laughs) So um, I won the award and and as beautiful and amazing as it is, my the focus of this story is actually on how my friends celebrated me. So um, I had them come. They showed up and showed out at the award ceremony, a table full of black folks, my mom, my dad. My um, my sister, my really good friend that I work with at the NIH, my best friend who who had just gotten married. She literally had just gotten married like four days prior or something like that. She was there. My other best friend was there. And we just like we really like had a table full of black people. And um, and I was told at the ceremony that I was the first black woman out of the I think it was 50 years or something of this award to ever win the award. And um, so that was really exciting. But I got back to Hanoi and my friends in Hanoi put together this surprise party for me without me knowing. It's hard to surprise me. 
And uh, I walked into the party and uh, I was like, uh, what, what you mean surprise, surprise what? I was like so shocked. <laughs> and they had put together, my friends in Hanoi had put together this beautiful video. Shout out to my friend, Ready, Set, Fro, Devin. Uh, <laughs> but she put together, <laughs> she put together this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful video. And she reached out to my friends back in the DMV and got them to record a, um, a thank you message or a celebratory message for me. And she it went even further and reached out to my mom and my dad and all my siblings and got them to send her a video and she put together this video and I was just bawling. I just couldn't believe that they had gotten together to do all of that, to celebrate me for winning this award. And she lives in Hanoi, we met in Hanoi. She never met my friends in DC. My friends in Hanoi never met you know, my family and they had reached out to them and that was just so special to me. So out of receiving this amazing award that I'm very grateful for, the most humbling part of it all was how my friends in Hanoi connected with my friends in the DMV area and my family in Mississippi and came together and celebrated me. And that was just amazing for me. Oh, what an international, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It's just like, so <laughs> I bet you were like super overwhelmed. Oh my really gosh. Great. I was crying so I'm much. Sure. Like, one day I'll put the video out there, not today, because I looked a mess, but I was crying <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> um, so your friendship group is all good, but I think you talked about uh, feeling the pressure to be in a romantic relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And you had talked about what that Vietnamese man said to you. Uh, mm-hmm. about needing to get married so you could compete in a beauty competition. But like, mm-hmm. do do you feel that, that uh, people trying to push that on you? Um, nope, it's more, it's more internal pressure because I definitely don't feel it from my family. They would like for me to be with someone for sure, but they don't go out of their way to say, oh, are you dating? Are you with someone? Uh, it's more so internal pressure because I feel like I've been so successful in so many areas of my life, professionally, uh, with my personal relationships, with my friends. They're super successful. Um, and and now it's getting to the point where I'm feeling actually a bit inadequate. Like I could be so successful in all of these other areas of my life. What is it about this area that's making me not be so successful? So it's more internalized pressure than it is external pressure. Okay. I see. You also feel the pressure to uh, treat yourself in the most gorgeous way. So you are a coffee addict and you don't (laughs) mind a good glass of alcohol. You once paid 300 American dollars (laughs) for a, uh, a sip It wasn't a glass, a sip of whiskey. And with that, you asked them if you could take the glass home. And they said, all right, you got it. (laughs) And they actually gave you the glass. So they um, did. Is that part of how you explore as well? You like to have some coffee, have a little drink. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I um I really uh started drinking coffee when I was living in New York City. So that's like the thing in New York City. You grab your cup of coffee on your way to work. And I uh ha- I found this really good coffee truck man, as I call him, the coffee truck man. And he <laughs> actually had Mexican coffee. Girl, it's so sad that I don't know that man name and I was getting coffee from him for like over three years. But um, that sounds very New York. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does. That's Maybe so not. sad. I don't know. <laughs> but he had this this Mexican coffee, and it was so different from anything I had ever tried. And then that's when I started realizing that coffee in itself has like different flavors. So then I started going on a quest when I would travel to to taste the different coffees in the areas that I lived in. And thus far, the best coffee I've ever had has come from Costa Rica. So I'll okay. give Costa Rica its props. Come on, yeah. Costa. <laughs> and then I started like trying different cocktails because uh, like back in the U.S. and specifically like back down in the South, I didn't drink at all. And I didn't drink because my perception of what uh, drinking was, was like Everclear, Moonshine, <laughs> Mad Dog 2020, no. 45, Alizé. <laughs> no. Yes. So that was no. my perception of drinking. And then I moved to the Northeast and I still, I still didn't drink much because um, I was just like, oh, I don't drink and, and I don't like alcohol because that's what I thought alcohol was. So I just sort of like, just didn't drink because I was like, I don't like it, so I'm not gonna drink. Then I moved abroad and I started going to these like crafted cocktail bars. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is delicious. Like who would have ever thought that you could put lavender into drink form and it would be good. So uh, I I started realizing like, I need to go and find unique places where I can get drinks that are uh, pleasing to my palate. So that's the (laughs) second thing I like to do when I visit coffee in the morning, cocktail in the afternoon. Come on, especially with lavender, anything. I will drink the mess out of some lavender. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Come to Hanoi. I'll take you to this place. Get you a lavender cocktail. Don't mind if I do. (laughs) Um, You talked about in Ethiopia feeling like it was home. You said you felt valued, seen, loved. You felt beautiful. You felt wanted and welcomed. What happened in Ethiopia? So my really good friend that I met here... um, in Hanoi. She moved to Ethiopia. She's a math genius. Her name is Kia. Um, She moved to Ethiopia and I said, you know, well, actually our other friend at Catch Kenyatta (laughs) said, hey, we're going to go visit uh, Kia and do you want to come? And I said, you know, yeah, let's, let's do this. So uh, we went there to visit her. I didn't know anything about Ethiopia. I didn't again, didn't do any research about it. I just knew that I was going to visit uh, a friend from Hanoi. And when I got there, even on the airplane, when I finally made it to the Ethiopian Airlines portion of my flight, all of the uh, advertisements is uh, Black people. And that that was the first time I had ever saw that, like the, the little welcome video that they show you on the plane, all Black people. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, insane so then I get off the plane and everyone's like welcome sister welcome so glad to have you here and just going places and people saying oh are you Ethiopian and I'm like no but that's very wonderful to to be mistaken for the people that are up this place because I look like them 
and the majority of the people around me, I look like them. So mm-hmm. it just felt so comfortable. I didn't even realize that I was um, stressed or tense about my outside environment until I went to Ethiopia and I actually just relaxed and felt safe and comfortable and didn't feel like people were going to be laughing at me or trying to take my picture. I just felt normal. And I was like, wow, this is how I've been living for the past, I think at that point, three and a half years. I've been living under a constant state of anxiety. Wow. That's deep. Yeah, for sure. It is really interesting how you can land and get a feeling for a place. Every place has like a little different energy, right? So mm-hmm. that's, that's really powerful to have experienced that upon landing. I don't think I've ever had that, you know, that kind of feeling of belonging when you land in a place. I really love that. So let me ask you, Vivian, um, with you trying to pursue your career outside of America, like was your family supportive? I'm sure your friends were down, but like, did they get used to the idea? Like, what was that process like? So it was actually the reverse. So my friends were not really down for it. My family was fully supportive of it. <laughs> for real. Okay. Yes. Plot twist. My, I know. My family knew that. So at the time when I took the job um, in Kazakhstan, I was actually like probably $115,000 in debt. So I had like significant debt from credit card debt and uh, com- combined with student loan debt. So my family knew that that's, uh, that that I was under that financial constraints. And uh, my friends are really successful. So they're like, you know, I hear like killing it and they, they're buying houses and they're, they were doing all these things uh, in the DMV area that I just did not see myself doing because I was like, this debt is so much pressure on me. I can't even imagine getting another $400,000 or $500,000 in debt buying a home. So um, my, my family knew that I was taking that job because it would give me some financial freedom. And uh, my friends just didn't want me to leave because I would, me leaving would like cause like a ripple in the friend curtain that we had of protection. So they were just like, you can't leave. What do you mean you're leaving? I was like, no, guys, I, I got to go. I need to pay this, these debts. So, um, yeah, my, my family was supportive. My friends were, were sad and, and a little apprehensive, but they're all on board now because now they're like, well, we can come visit you. I'm coming next week. <laughs> I'm coming to that. I said, okay, now, now you want to come visit. You, <laughs> you didn't want to help me pack, but <laughs> now you're right, trying to make a plan. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you as well. Um, do you have any hobbies or interests that aren't about work or travel? Um, yes, I love uh, volunteering. It is something that really feeds me. So um, I, well, it's a part of travel, but one of the things that I like to do when I move to a country is immediately find a place where I can volunteer so that I can feel like I'm giving back to that country because regardless of the good or the bad things that may happen, a country gives to you when you go and be a part of their their um, culture. They always give something to you. They take 
some something, but they give a lot as well. And so I wanted to be able to find a way to give back to uh, the culture that I'm in. So I, I usually volunteer in some way, whether it be financially or whether I actually give my my time. And one of the things I love to do is volunteer with kids. I love, love, love mm-hmm. little kids. They have so much energy and they don't see anything but just a person that they want to play with. They don't see black or white or whatever. So um, volunteerism is is a big thing for me. I was with you up until you said kids don't see, <laughs> kids don't see nothing. Well, I tell you, I had this little Chinese boy. Uh, I had these long, luxurious locks and I just cut them this year. Um, and he didn't know me. I didn't know him. <laughs> so I'm volunteering at this school and he's like, why is your hair short? Men want women with long hair. And then like, he just kind of okay. read me about my personal appearance in general. And I was just like, okay, okay, little boy. I had another little boy ask me if my hair was real. Again, because I had locks. I was just like, is yours? <laughs> so those are that's purely anecdotal. Uh, but those things just popped up <laughs> in my mind. Well, listen, I should add a caveat. To my <laughs> They're so amazing until they learn how to talk. And they start picking up on the, the information the adults give them. Yes, true. Because it's just like, who? I forgot. How, maybe like six maybe six or seven it's just oh like who are you goodness. who are you around <laughs> like, but it's about what men like <laughs> right you are you your balls haven't even formed yet they don't have <laughs> dropped how are you right. opinionated about this yet but like you said it is it is handed down and it's really interesting being around them and in the place where the trauma is forming because you can see mm-hmm. how the adults are putting their adult junk on them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And how they start to believe, how, how they start to form ideas about themselves, about not being smart, about, you know, not being pretty, especially like in Asian culture. Like, I, I just don't remember being beautiful as being something that was so important in America. Like it is, but like it's not. You just like, well, somebody gonna love me, so whatever. Right. But like, there's there's a a real high emphasis on that here. Oh yeah, but yeah. So oh my gosh, it's it's interesting. But yes, girl, volunteer with the kids. <laughs> they can they can be so fun and so funny and so not. <laughs> they can be like so serious too. It depends on who's raising them. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, do you have any self-care practices that you would like to share with us? Yes. So the best thing ever was when Oprah and Deepak came out with those free 21-day meditation series. Yes. <laughs> they actually have one going on now. <laughs> so whenever I can, I jump on, on those. And I love them so much that I actually downloaded the app and I, I purchased some of them because you can actually purchase them I think for like $39, $40. And I go back to them a lot. So I'll go through like one 21 day meditation series at least maybe three times. Because each time I go through it, I learn something new. Uh, so I, I definitely do those. Um, here in Hanoi, it's so cheap to get a massage. 
So there are days where I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to go and spend like three hours at this massage place and get a facial and get a massage and just like really like decompress from, you know, some of this stuff that I've been going through. (sighs) I'm relaxed just listening to that. (laughs) And I want to lie and be like, and I work out too, girl, because, you know, working out is a stress reliever bottom line. (laughs) I I should. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's hilarious, Vivian. <laughs> Thank you for not coming on my show and lying. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, girl, I'm out here trying to, you know, be all inspiration. I need to have truth. <laughs> oh, I wanted I did want to mention too, speaking of being inspirational, that is why you started your Instagram. It's um you said you wanted to highlight other black people who work and travel abroad, specifically in STEM. Um Yes. So I very much look forward to that because that's very, that's niche, right? I like niches. So yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, Are any of your self-care practices particularly grounding or is there something else that helps helps you to feel grounded? My parents, my parents really, like I can call them at any point in time of the day and they'll pick up and I don't even need to talk about like what's going on. I just need to talk to them about something. It doesn't even matter what. And they always remind me of who I am without them even knowing that I needed that. And they're also like, I'm grown now. I'm grown, grown. I'm 33, but I'm still their child. And I called my mom one time because I was just so overwhelmed and I was just crying. My mom was like, let me get a ticket. Let me. How much is these tickets to Vietnam? What's the airport code? I was like, mom, calm down. <laughs> calm down I don't need you to come over I just need to cry to you real quick and she's like I haven't heard you cry in so long you must really be going through it I'm like yeah I am but you know I just need to cry sometimes Mm -hmm. and that helps me to stay grounded just being okay with the fact that I just need to let out those tears Mm, that's sweet that was really sweet um so uh your current style of traveling like you are generally based in a country and then you just kind of take trips at will as you're able Mm -hmm. to okay okay yep um do you have any song lyrics or poems that speak to you these days oh girl listen i'm trying not to be ghetto or ratchet but that is a part of me i mean (laughs) yes (laughs) what do you mean that's that's who i am so with that being said (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just really quiet. And listen, don't get me hype. <laughs> uh, so like two, maybe like two years ago, <laughs> two years ago, I paid off my debt, all my debts. I paid off my student loans, Ow. paid off all my credit. So proud. Yes. So each time I travel, um, I, I'm traveling with my own money. I'm not traveling on anybody's credit. So, you know, I'm like paying for this stuff straight out of my bank account and it's not stressing me out. It's not hurting me in any way. So as of lately, the song lyrics that has been speaking to me is uh, make the style your money good. So I'm hey! like, oh, where I'm from, let them know I'm still hood. <laughs> so yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that is something to celebrate. Uh, student loans got a lot of people necks underfoot i can't wait till they do away with that silly system but yes live it up celebrate eight 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 
I like her. <laughs> I don't even know what song. Uh, have I don't know if you've caught the Black Lady Sketch Show. Not yet. I've only seen clips of it on Facebook. Okay. Well, you know about it, but uh, they use one of her songs in their intro. And I, I've been lazy and haven't looked up which one, but I love it. I, I listen to her stuff every now and then, you know, when I'm looking for work stuff. I'm, music to work to. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to get hype. All right. Okay, so this is the part of the show where I like to um, ask my guests, is in what ways would you like for listeners to support your work? So I just recently started a scholarship at my alma mater, um, Alcorn State University. And um, this scholarship is called the PASS Scholarship. So it stands for Passion and assertiveness equals successful scholars. Because I tell people all the time, they say, oh, you're so smart. And I'm like, yeah, I have a little bit of smartness, but I'm also just passionate and I'm being assertive. And that's why I've been successful. So that's where the name for that scholarship came from. So I started the scholarship with an initial um, donation of $10,000. So if anyone would like to support, um, not necessarily just me, but support other Black students that are going to historically Black colleges and universities, they can donate to the PASS scholarship through the Alcorn State Foundation Department. Okay. And I will get the information from you to share that. That's really, really okay. wonderful. I haven't had a, um, a scholarship. Usually people, you know, follow me on the gram, y'all, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really wonderful. I love, I love that. You are a giver backer. <laughs> yes, because I've had a lot given to me and I was a recipient of the foundation scholarships when I was at Alcorn State University and had it not been for those foundation scholarships, I would not have made it through undergrad with no debt. So I always said, even when I was like freshly out of college, like when I get the chance, I will give back to the foundation department. So I'm really happy and proud that I've been finally able to do that. Wow. I love it. Well, I will put that in the notes. We are going to spread the word. Thank you so very much, Vivian. I really appreciate you coming on the show, uh, hitting me up on Instagram, being like, girl, you need to hear from me. And I was like, girl, you right, I do. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, thank you so very much. I appreciate you sharing so openly with us. Thank you. And thank you for making me feel comfortable enough to be open. I'm not usually this open. I like to put on this face of uh, perfection. So thank you for making me feel comfortable to just be my flawed self because we all are. Honey, when I tell you we all literally are, <laughs> um, there's some there's some goodness in all of us, though. And I'm, I'm glad you felt comfortable enough because... <laughs> some people have have problems with that but <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate you i really do um you take really good care of yourself and we will see you on the gram okay well thank you so much black women travel podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll talk to you soon Viv. okay bye bye, bye. Oh.
Barum, ah, um, barum.